Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, welcome to Flourishing in Isolation, week eight. Can you believe it's been eight weeks we've been in this scenario? Uh, I hope you're doing okay. I hope things are well with you. I hope you are well both physically and mentally and spiritually. We're going to dive straight into our Bibles to today. Um, we're going to go straight into Ephesians chapter 5. So get your Bibles ready for that. If you haven't joined us before in this week, I want to encourage you, do go back and do discover what else is out there. If you go on YouTube and you search up Flourishing in Isolation or we're also on our podcast on Freedom Church UK, you can download those and catch up with where we've got to. We are looking at the stories, the prison letters from Paul when he was under house arrest in Rome for two and a half years asking the question, how can we learn from the writer Paul and how we flourish in isolation? We are on lockdown, but we are still free in Christ. How does it look for us today? And so do get hold of your Bibles and and we'll get going in just a moment. We are not in isolation, even though we are limited in our ability to go out places, because God is with us and God is with you. I want you to hear that today at the very beginning of our time together. God is with you. God is with you in this moment. God is with you in this season. You are not in isolation. You are not alone. God is with you. And if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Some of you do that during the week. You get in touch and send your messages and emails. Uh, do contact us. Or if you're listening live, uh, we'd love you to get involved with the chat on the various platforms. Uh, do subscribe on YouTube. You can then get notifications or follow us on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Like us on Facebook. You know how it works. Uh, we'd love you to help us out. Um, and I want to make sure as well, what we don't do is uh, we just do a one-way street here. That's why the conversation is so important. The questions are part of that. If we're not careful, our teaching becomes me transmitting or radiating information. It goes one way through the camera and to the TV screen you're watching on. But it's also really important that we respond, that we connect and we allow iron to sharpen iron. That's where teaching really happens, where there are more than one of you learning together. I'm still learning as I go through this process. I've enjoyed studying before I began to preach and speak to this. So I hope you enjoy this session, this series, and uh, do get in touch and do join me. Maybe next week we'll be able to do a, a Zoom call again. We can have some more interaction. That'd be good. Can I ask you to share these online, to share with your friends, to say, look, this has been good for you. Why not share it with someone else as well? I want to make sure that all this great content we're putting together is really uh, benefiting as many people as possible at this time. So let's get on with it then, shall we? Uh, Get hold of your Bible and we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we learned about flourishing in isolation uh, from the first part of Ephesians chapter 5 where we were living as children of the light. We talked about imitating God by living a life full of love, putting others first. We talked about reflecting God by the words that we use, being light in dark places. We talked about following God by asking, what does the Lord want me to do? How do I make the most of every opportunity? It's a a chunky old chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. And here we are again at the back end of Ephesians 5. But I promise you, we will make Ephesians chapter 6 today. Honestly, we will get there. In these next few verses, we're going to explore how we relate to each other. Paul, who's the writer here, writes out God's grand plan, Ephesians 1 to 3. He talks about living in unity, talks about loving God. And Ephesians 4 or 5, he talks about how do we live 
as his children? How do we change the world around us? And in Ephesians 5 and 6, we now come down to practical advice. This is really clear practical advice we're going to get today. How we relate to each other. How do we relate to our husbands and wives? How do parents and children relate? How do bosses and employees and staff, how do they relate together? How do we reflect God in the way we live everyday relationships? This is where the rubber hits the road. Are you ready for this? So here we go. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Um, I use the New Living Translation Bible. I encourage you to get hold of a, a Bible that works for you and you can follow out the words will be on the screen or you can read them for yourselves. Verse 21 says these words. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a really key verse as we go into the rest of this chapter. This is like the upside down kingdom of God, putting others first. The world says, if you want to flourish, think of yourself first. Think of number one. But the follower of Christ says, if I want to flourish, I think of someone else first. If we want to live in a Christ-like manner, we love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Imagine if we lived every day like this, submitting to others out of reverence for Christ. Some of us, I know, would rather not get out of bed that day. I'm a church leader. I, I make decisions. That's part of my role. I try and get the balance right between um, having a clear thought of what we should do and demanding that's a decision that everyone should follow and the other extreme where you try and gather ideas from others. You try and uh, hear people, listen to people before you make a decision. If you go too far one way, people say you're dogmatic, you are dictatorial, you're opinionated. But if you go the other extreme, people say that you are ambiguous, vague, indecisive. But what if we submitted to others? What if we listened to others? What if we, out of reverence for Christ, put others first? To realise I don't always have to be the one that makes the decision. That I could submit to others and follow their lead. That you don't have to always be in charge of your own activities. We can submit to others. This opening sentence, the reason I'm pushing this quite hard is Ephesians 5.21 really sets up the tone for the second half of this chapter. That it's really important that we read this before we read the rest of Ephesians 5.22 onwards. Because if we misunderstand that concept of submitting to each other, we then misunderstand the verses that follow. Because we've got some quite contentious verses coming up. For instance, here we go, verse 25, 22, sorry. For wives, this means that verse we just read about submitting to the other as out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. It's one of those verses. Oh yes, it's that one that when I do marriage prep with people and we just uh, had a couple in our church recently get married, uh, an online Zoom wedding is a first for most of us. Um, and we had that conversation. What do we say in our vows? Do we submit? It's that moment that we have when we're talking about these verses and it pulls us all in. And, and we need to recognise that Paul, the writer here, was a single man and we don't know any of his relational stories or whether he had a wife or whether he had any others in his life, but we, he wrote these words under that context of submitting to others out of reverence for Christ. 
And it's interesting that at this moment that we've been talking about how we live our lives as children of the light, that how we reflect God, the writer is pointing at marriage. He's pointing at marriage and saying a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife is a perfect picture between Jesus Christ and the church, the bridegroom and the bride. And this is a thread that goes all the way through the book of Ephesians. And as, as we've been going through these last few weeks, there's this big meta-narrative of, of unity, of Ephesians 1, heaven and earth coming together. God at the centre, that heaven is not future and earth is not present, but heaven and earth coexist and God is right at the centre. In Ephesians chapter 2, we talk about Jews and Gentiles coming together. There is unity between those who are followers of Israel's ways and they are Jewish and they are descended from Abraham and Gentiles, non-Jews, that God wants to be united across his people. He wants his people to be as one and that that is not a future and a past, but a present and a now with God at the centre. And here we are in a Ephesians 5 and soon we'll move into Ephesians 6 and he's talking about man and woman coming together that this unity although they are different they can be together with God at the center God is at work in creation in our unity with each other and between the marriage of a husband and a wife it truly is a miracle all those things and if you if you are married you understand a miracle that it can be God is at the centre of all these healthy, Christ-centred, God-ordained relationships. Now, the truth is one of the greatest challenges of the relationship between husband and wife is one of faithfulness. Not because that is the Christian rule and the ethic, but the standard that we expect, but because marriage, the faithful, lifelong union of a man and a woman is part of the creational symbol the union of, God, of heaven and earth with God at the centre. It reflects God. Now here is a challenge to us today as we explore these scriptures. What we tend to do when we read the Bible is we tend to zoom in on the peace that affects us. When I read those verses just now, if you're a woman and if you're a married woman, you're looking at the verses there from your point of view. If you're a married man, you're looking at the point of view from your own experience. If you're a divorcee, or if you're single, or if you, you, know, you have been married, a widower, you're reading those verses based on your circumstances. We all do it. We zoom in to the bit that affects us. And we ask the question, should the wife submit to the husband? What does it mean to the husband to love the wife? And when we do that, we miss the bigger point here. God is at the heart of of our relationships. In reverence to Christ, we submit to one another. Man and woman are different, they're made differently, but our union, despite our differences, is what points to God. Our unity, in spite of our circumstances, reflects the heart of God. Now, a little bit of a theological wrangle for you today is verse 22. It's one of these key verses that is at the middle of the ongoing theological debate around what people would call complementarianism and egalitarianism. Those two isms are, are different viewpoints on this scripture. And just to give you a quick background for those who aren't aware, complementarianism, apart from being a very long word and hard to say, and egalitarianism are theological views on the relationship between man and woman about marriage especially when it comes to ministry in the church, Christian ministry. Complementarianism stresses that although men and women are equal as people, they are different for different roles. 
and they would say that actually it's not appropriate for some uh, genders to have different roles within the church or within ministry. Egalitarianism agrees that men and women are equal as people, but also holds there should be no gender limitations for the roles of men and women in ministry or in the church. Now, as soon as you start opening up this can of worms, everyone has a view. Normally, it depends upon their circumstances, their experience, their gender. It all comes out in the wash. And, and the truth is, and I know this isn't going to help you very much, but I would say I'm a bit of both of those. I, I understand the both views, but I also know that, that, well, I understand that this, that there is equality. First, I want to say this really clearly. There is equality for all, that man and woman are equal, that God loves his people. God doesn't love some people more than other people's, but we are different. We are different. We work differently. We operate differently. And that is a fantastic thing. It's a good thing. It makes us work better together than us being the same. Men and women are equal, and I also believe they can hold different roles in ministry. And I'm okay with that. For me, it's about our gifting and our calling rather than our gender. And, and whether you are a male or female in the church that I lead at Freedom Church, I want to create opportunity for anyone of any gender to have roles of, of ministry if that's something they feel called to and have the gifting for. I love the fact that our leadership, both in our small group leadership, connect groups, with our oversight team and our, our day-to-day staff leadership team, we have uh, different genders uh, recognised. That's important for me. But if we take either of those views to the extreme, they are unhealthy. Egalit- uh, sorry, complementarianism can be an excuse for extreme patriarchal behaviour. Man goes first. We said that in certain roles, you know, the chief role is left to the men and therefore we create a subservient role for women. That's unhealthy and it's extreme. The complementarianism view is, is a good one of saying we're different, we work together well, but if you take it too far, it becomes unhelpful. And the same with egalitarianism. You know, it can push for equal gender. We must have equality at all costs. And then sometimes people get overlooked because they've got the gifting, they have the calling, but they just are not the right gender to bring balance into the roles we are looking for. We must make sure we are balancing these things out, that we understand that God loves people, that people really matter, however, uh, whatever gender they are. And he is creating space for us all to minister to one another, to submit to one another, in reverence to Christ. That is the important language rather than the role itself. And we carry on here in verse 25. For husbands, this idea means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, to be washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Wonderful. Wonderful. That image of the church being holy and without fault. And God is, uh, sorry, the writer here is saying, husbands and wives, if you operate like Christ loves the church, you can be like that. You can be holy and without fault. It is not, I will love you if you submit to me, or I will submit to you if you love me. That's not a healthy marriage. It should be, I will love you or submit to you regardless of the response I get from you. That is a sacrificial relationship. I will give without expecting anything in return. Because that is what Jesus did for his church. Jesus gave his life 
because he loved the church so much, he loved the world so much, he gave his life that we can all have eternity with him. And that sacrifice wasn't dependent upon our response. It was freely given whether we choose to respond in kind or not. Jesus gave himself for the world. And this writer here is saying that we should give ourselves to others. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Relationship in a marriage should not be a transactional one. What can I get out of it should never be the question. We should be asking, what can I put into this relationship? How can I give to it? As we've talked about, the healthy relationships require us to say, how can I submit to others? To love one another as we love one ourselves. To ask the question, what can I give, not what can I get? to love others, not more than yourselves. He doesn't say that. But by showing love for another is showing love for yourself and valuing who you are. And it carries on this last bit here in verse 31. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I'm reading these verses. It reminds me of all the various weddings I've spoken at and participated in and attended. And they're often used and there is some, some great um, activity going on in those verses that we could explore for hours but I want to make sure we keep hold of that big meta-narrative story of the relationship between God and his church through Jesus Christ. That's really important. That marriage is a great mystery, but it's also a great illustration, he's saying here, of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's also a mystery, but it's amazing at the same time. How we treat our wife or our husband is how they will respond. If you want a normal spouse... Treat them as normal. Treat them as every day and you'll get exactly what you put in. If you want an amazing, beautiful, uh, intelligent spouse, then treat them that way and you'll get what you expect. People respond how they are treated. And we do it all the time. Even if no words are said, we can sense what people think of us and we behave accordingly. But this chapter here, it's bigger than just the relationship between a husband and a wife. I think it's a key relationship and it's a key relationship that helps us understand the story of the church and Christ, the bride and the bridegroom, of how we relate with God at the centre, how we submit to each other, to love each other. But he goes on and says it's more than that. It's about the relationship with children and their parents as well. He says there in verse 1 of chapter 6, children... Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, I have four children and one of them is sitting right here behind the camera watching me as I speak to you right now. And when they were younger, 
I used to use this verse, and I was probably a little bit cheeky. I would say to them, do you want to live a long life here on earth? And often they would go, of course, Dad, I would like to live a long life on earth. And I would then, great, that's what the Bible says. If you want to live a long life, honour your father and mother. It's a commandment with a promise. It's a deal breaker. You want to live a long life? Here's how it works. And, and, and the truth is, I believe genuinely that is so important. It's true. How we respect our elders, those that have gone before us, we will reap what we sow. How we treat our parents, how we treat the elder generation, however old you are today, how you treat those who've gone before you will affect how you are treated by the generation that will come through. If we dismiss the older generation, the next generation will dismiss you and I as well. How we treat people is important. But here's the thing as well about that verse, and this is what I was guilty of and still could be guilty of as a parent, that I would do, as I talked about earlier, I would zoom in, I would focus in on the verse that affected me. That was a useful verse to me as a parent. I could wave it in my child's face and say, look, look at that verse. And if they were a bit older, they might have come back and said, Dad, have you seen verse four? Because right now you're annoying me and you're exasperating me. Because verse four says this word, it says, verse four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. It isn't one or the other, it's both. Submit yourself to each other with reverence to Christ. That's the underlying verse here. In fact, just this afternoon, uh, my children, a couple of my kids came up to me and said, Dad, we prefer lockdown, Dad. I said, what do you mean lockdown, Dad? They said, oh, you're so much more chilled. You're at home all the time. You're not running out to meetings all the time. And we just like you here like this. I got a little bit offended. I was like, well, what was I like before? And they said, well, you know, a little bit stressed, a bit busy, a little bit kind of hard to get hold of. And they just like the lockdown, Dad. But my job is not to be chilled or not chilled. My, dad, my job is to bring up my children in a godly manner, to discipline them, to, to disciple them, to train them, to shape them, to provoke, not to provoke them in, a, in an unhelpful way, but to bring the best out of them, to not exasperate them or, or annoy them or frustrate them. It doesn't mean, I need to say this because it's one of my pet hates, it doesn't mean that children are in charge that they can do whatever they want. Our children are not meant to be our mates and our friends and our buddies. They're our children. We're parents first. And we've got a responsibility to lead our children really well. We're not there to just make sure they're content and happy and have everything they need. We are meant to discipline. Discipline is a challenge. Discipline is about shaping our children. You know, the importance of having boundaries for our children because our children feel safe when they are boundaried. A small child loves a cot or a playpen, not because they are safe, but they feel comfortable within the boundaries. You know, we might be putting them there because it stops them from running around the house, but the boundaries are important. As our children get older, they still need those boundaries. It wouldn't be appropriate to put my 18-year-old in a playpen even though I might want to sometimes, it's important that I give them bigger boundaries, more space to move to make bigger decisions as they grow up. As parents, we're not bringing up children, says a friend of mine. We're not bringing up children. We just say we are raising adults. My responsibility as a parent is to bring children up in a godly manner so that one day they can bring their children up also in a godly manner. My job is to teach them, not provoke them, to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And then lastly, as we head towards the end here, in the end of Ephesians, sorry, this last section on Ephesians 6, talks about exploring the relationship between employees and their bosses. We've had husbands and wives, we had children and parents, and now we have this section about uh, bosses and employees. Now, the truth is when you read this, this was written in the context of first century Ephesus, where it was really common to have slaves working in your home. But the principles which we can learn here are exactly the same. It can apply to our working environment and how we treat each other. So we jump in at verse five, says these words, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Who are you when no one is watching? That's a big challenge. Who are you when no one is watching? I remember years ago, I watched a TV show, uh, which was like an early version of The Apprentice. And this was led by Richard Branson. It was called The Rebel Billionaire. And he had this TV show where he took 16 potential employees and he put them through eight weeks of intensive kind of activity where he would fire one at the end of each session and program. In the very first opening episode, Richard Branson disguised himself as a chauffeur. He puts a fake beard on, he puts a hat on and sunglasses and he drives to the airport, picks up all of these apprentices, all these potential recruits. He puts them in the car and he drives them to this huge house where they're all going to stay for the two months of the programme. And he arrives at this place and he goes this stretch limo and they get them all out of this stretch limo. And as they're standing there lining up for the camera, Richard Branson takes off his hat and his sunglasses. He removes his fake beard and suddenly they all realise that this is Richard Branson. And he's been with them on the journey from the airport to this house. And he turns around to one of the people in the lineup and he says, you're fired. You're fired because the way you treated me when you thought I was a chauffeur isn't the way I want anyone to treat people. Without respect, I don't want you in my business, in my organisation. He was fired before he'd even started the programme. An amazing moment. But the question is, who are you when no one is watching? Because we're called to be hard workers for our employers, for our clients, for our customers, to be hard working. Why? Because we are working for the Lord. We're not working for ourselves or working to get money in our pockets. We're working, we're stewarding the earth, the mandate that was given to Adam at the beginning of Genesis. We have got that same mandate to do something with what God has given to us. And our response is work hard, not because we're working for cash, money, mortgage payments uh, for our kids. We're working for the Lord. And that's really important, we do that. And he carries on in verse six, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward you and each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. God rewards us not for our work, but for our attitude. Enthusiasm, the good that we do, how we leave our workstations, how we treat our shift patterns, how we watch the clock, do we show up on time to meetings. Our attitude is being watched all the time by the great boss himself, our Father God. Even if our bosses can't see us. And right now many people are working from home and we have huge potential to get distracted during the working day. 
And your boss might not know whether you're sitting at home watching Tiger King on Netflix or whether you are working really hard, but God knows. And he says to us, your Father in heaven, who will see what is done in secret, will reward you in Matthew chapter 6. What we done, what we do in, in, in public is seen by many. What we do in private is seen by God and he rewards us for our behaviour. And as we bring things to an end here from Ephesians 6, verses 9, masters, it says here, you get a turn now. Bosses, you get a turn. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favourites. Submit yourselves to Christ, to each other, sorry, in reverence to Christ. So like the passage on parents and children, this is an extra piece of advice for bosses. If you manage people or you own your own business or if you're a team leader or a department head, the way you treat people is really important. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you, can, you can't sack people. It doesn't mean you can't correct people's behaviour. It doesn't mean you can pull someone up if they're doing things inappropriately. But the way you do it needs to be consistent and loving. So you submit yourself to another in reverence to Christ. Ephesians 5 and 6 for me is an example of how easy it is to lose the meta-narrative of what the writer Paul is saying when we start to pull apart the details. We can lose the big picture by the woods for the trees. Paul is saying here in this scripture that God should be at the centre of our life-giving relationships. That as we relate to one another, God should be at the centre, whether it's Ephesians 1 and it's heaven and earth, whether it's Ephesians 2 and Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 5, husband and wife, parent, child, boss and employee in Ephesians chapter 6, that God should be at the centre of our life, centre of our interactions, centre of our relationships that bring us health and love and well-being. How we live our lives, how we relate to each other and those around us reflects God and his values. That is important to him. So as we wrap this up, uh, what can we learn this week to flourish in isolation? I believe that Paul, the writer here in these uh, second half of Ephesians 5 and first half of Ephesians 6 is saying to us that our relationships need to truly reflect Christ that we should firstly submit to one another in reverence to Christ. It reflects him when we submit to each other. The secondly, we should submit to our husbands and love our wives as this also reflects Christ's and it's in reverence to him. And number three, parents and your children, bosses and your employees, we should treat each other with respect as though God is watching us when no one else is because this reflects Christ in reverence to him. That's what we're called to do, to live our life every day, submitting ourselves to one another in reverence to Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity we have every day to start again, to pick up our cross, to choose to be a, a child of yours, a, to live the life of light in dark places. I pray you'd help each one of us in our relationship with each other, whether it's husband to wife, boss to employee, whether it's child to parent, whether it's just friend to friend, help us submit to each other to reflect you out of reverence for Christ who connected us in the first place. God, we thank you for the gift of life and the gift of relationships. May we care for them well and reflect you as we do it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week and look forward to seeing you again next time. Thank you.
For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.